Heavenly Father, as we just dig deep into your word, Lord, as we just uh, dig out these truths that are in here, Lord, I just pray that you, your Holy Spirit will speak to us, Lord. That you would minister to us, Lord, that as we go out and we serve you in our lives, Lord, whatever that is, looks like for each individual, Lord, that you would just speak something to us, Lord. If it's a word of encouragement, or it's just a peace, or if it's wisdom, whatever it would be, Lord, we want to hear from you today. So, Lord, we thank you. Please just be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, because your Bible's open to Luke, you can open to chapter 13, if I get mine facing the right direction. Open up to Luke. So we were in Luke 13, 22 through 35 last week. We saw that each one of us needs to have a self-examination, which is to examine our own faith and our own relationship with God. And that was the works that he was talking about. And then I asked you all a very difficult question. You remember the question? I asked if each one of you daily would surrender, repent, believe and trust in Jesus. That was last week's message. And we also talked about to do that on a daily basis it does require work. It's not easy every day. It can be very difficult. Now, we also learned about the door to heaven, didn't we? We learned about this door being narrow, but also we learned a very important truth. We learned that that door does shut and close at some point. And that was difficult. We read that you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you, or where you are from. That's a very sobering reminder of what we face. This should remind us of our responsibility to go out and share the gospel so that no one we ever meet will ever have to hear that. We talked about this last week, and I, I told you as we went through earlier the prayer request about Anthony. I want to share just a minute about that, the testimony there. So Anthony, many of you may or may not know, he's a close friend of mine here in Myanmar. He's a pastor that just has a real heart for sharing the gospel, for evangelizing. And his, one of his, whenever I ask him, I always ask him, how can I pray for you, Anthony? He says, pray for my brother. He's not saved. He lives with me, and I just I share the gospel in a relationship. It's not good. He doesn't agree with what I'm doing in my life, serving the Lord. And he says, please pray for him. That, you know, he would come to realize... Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So, I mean, this has been going on for two years. I've been talking to Anthony, and I know him, I know Anthony well, and I've met his brother. And then, right before church started, our fellowship started last week, he was on the prayer board, he called me. He said, hey, can you please pray for my brother? We're heading to the hospital. He fell, and his brain is bleeding. And then I preached the message about this self-examination, that that door will be closed one day. It wasn't a half hour after the message, he called me and said his brother passed away. He was my age, I don't know exactly his age, but he was, you know, middle-aged, he was not old. And that door had been closed. And it was a real reality 
on me of our responsibility to share the gospel. Because you never know. I shared in that message that any one of us, it could be our last day here, and we never know. And I shared it could be the last day for someone that we love. We never know when that time will be. And it happened that very night for a close friend of mine. So, for me, I mean, it's just disheartening. It's, it's bothered me all week just to know that it's sad. That man never accepted Christ. And he had someone that preached the gospel to him and shared with him every day living with him. And he never came to a faith in Jesus Christ. Obviously, he didn't know that was his last day here. Nobody knows your time. Jesus wishes no one would perish, not even one. But we do have to come to that faith. We don't ever want to come too late when that door is shut. That was last week's sermon. But I wanted to share that because that happened. I got that news after I preached that sermon. And that was just, uh, it, hit, it hit home with me. It was very sobering, I guess is the only word I can truly use uh, to describe that situation. Now today, though, we're going to be in Luke 14, 1 through 24. Reservations accepted. So everyone's got their Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 14. Let's look at the first two verses. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And the people were watching him closely. There's a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Now this custom in Jesus' time was common. To invite someone to your home for a meal. Just like it is common today. I mean, we still practice the same type of uh, custom. If you meet someone, you're like, hey, please come over and... Uh, join, join with us in eating and come to my house. It's done today, just as it was done then. I think, though, back then it was much more of a honor and a privilege for lots of reasons, um, culturally, but also financially. I mean, that was a big deal to feed someone. But it's still practiced today. Now, if you look, this isn't the first time Jesus has been invited to Pharisees' homes. He's been invited to other Pharisees' homes. So this, again, is, is, is interesting. It's just a common practice to do. Now, if you look close at this verse, you see, though, it's not, it's just not a Pharisee. You see who this was? This was a leader of the Pharisees. This wasn't just a normal Pharisee, but a leader. You also see what they were doing. What were they doing to Jesus? They were watching him closely. And I don't think that was really a positive thing. I think they were kind of spying on him. They were watching him intently. They wanted to see, they wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. Because it was kind of a setup, wasn't this? This dinner was, I call it, premeditated. Why was this guy there with swollen arms and legs? Dopsy, I think, if you look at some of your versions, is called. Um, why was he there, just hanging out at this leader's house? This very prominent man's house, the leader of the Pharisee's house. Why was this man, this sickly man, just at this dinner? It wasn't by accident. This was a setup for Jesus. They were watching Jesus closely because they wanted to see what he would do. They invited Jesus to this dinner to see what his reaction would be on the Sabbath to this man. Now, I have been invited to dinner on false pretenses also sometimes. Maybe some of, some of you this has happened to also. That someone says, oh, come over, you know, and, and join us for a meal or 
or come come to our church and worship. And when you get there, you find out they didn't invite you just to have dinner with you, but maybe they had some alternative motives. Um, that's rough to take sometimes. I've had it happen. Um, maybe it's a fundraising event they invite you, or they have uh, they want to tell you I, in the states. Maybe they want to tell you about their Tupperware. I don't know. Some of you get that from America. Uh, but when you get there, you're like, oh, they didn't really want to be my friend. They were trying to sell me this or sell me that. Uh, you know, that kind of, I don't, I don't really appreciate that usually. And it happens here in Hedemar too. I get invited to churches. And I'm like, oh, wow, I can go there and preach. Well, they were really looking to build a new building. Um, so it happens here, uh, just like it happened in Jesus' time. Jesus wasn't invited to dinner because everybody wanted to visit with him and hear from him. They were, they were kind of setting him up. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do with this sick man on the Sabbath. So that was, you know, it's hurtful, but it happens today. Um, also, you see that they were watching Jesus closely in that verse. You know what? We're all being watched closely right now, aren't we? All of us are always being watched, just as Jesus was being watched here. So I think we just there's these little lessons in here that each one of us got to learn and be aware of. That many people are watching our lives and seeing how we live our lives and seeing as through our actions and our families and what we do. If what we say about Jesus is true, if we are truly walking our talk, see the last few months we've talked a lot about that. But still, they're watching Jesus. They're seeing. They're going to see what will He do. You know what? There's people watching every one of us, wondering what will they do. You know, Ryan was just sharing about his mom. And I, I mean, I, I personally, I just walked through this. I, I just, my heart cries out to you to walk through that. In these situations, people watch us and say, "No." Where are we really clean? We cling to Jesus. We cling to that faith. And that's what we need to do. But, you know, when things happen like that, it's so difficult. It's just amazing, our testimonies that we can share. And so, just remember, we're being watched too, just like Jesus is. And many of the times that people watch us, it's the only gospel people are ever going to see. They're probably, most people aren't going to pick up, they're not believers, they're not going to pick up a Bible, they're probably not going to walk into a church. But they're going to watch us. They're watching closely, and they should see the gospel message presented to them through our lives. Just a little side note, as they were watching Jesus. Now, I always say this. Put yourself in the story. I want you guys to all go to this dinner party. You can imagine you're sitting there. Jesus is there. He's sitting down. There's all this food spread out. There's all these important people. These are all the important people. This is the religious leader's house. Then there's some sick guy sitting over there with all his arms and legs swollen. What do you think that would look like? Like this guy, what do you think he looked like? I got a picture. Don't be too scared when I show you this picture because this is, I found this on the internet to see if it's kind of representative of the sickness this man had. Ready? There you go. So that guy's sitting there and they're all watching him, intently looking at Jesus. Okay, you go back to the scripture. Watching this man that's sitting there with his legs and arms swollen. Everyone's staring at Jesus, like, what's he going to do? Watching intently, is he gonna, does he notice that guy? Is he going to heal him? They're all waiting to see. Now, if I was in that picture, sitting there, and I knew it was a setup, I'd be like shaking my head, just going, I cannot believe I'm in this situation. I came here for dinner. I thought I would sit down and enjoy a good meal, but instead, these people have me for different alternative reasons, and they're trying to set me up to see what I'm going to do. That'd be pretty uncomfortable. 
I mean, that would, that would be difficult. Well, let's see what Jesus is going to do. Look at verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the religious law, Is it permitted in your law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? Now, of course, we just talked this as a setup. So what is Jesus going to do? Jesus knew. He knows. He knew when he walked in in the first place what these people were up to. He knew that's what they were thinking, and he knew that's why he was invited. So Jesus, he still accepted the invitation, because he knew why they invited him. But he accepted it, and he came to this dinner, this dinner party, this banquet, the feast. He's going to use this situation to teach them and us a lesson. So, let's look at verse 4. When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Quick and easy, right? I, I hope the poor guy got something to eat. I mean, he had to sit there and be like, everyone's looking at him, looking at Jesus. I don't even, I, I don't even know if the guy even fed the poor guy. I'm sure he was really happy to have this sickness healed from him. But also, I bet you that was really uncomfortable for him. I mean, that was, it's very awkward. It's like, I'm sure he's never been invited to these people's houses before. The only reason he was there is to test Jesus. So now he's healed. And Jesus says, go, leave. He doesn't even let him stay for the dinner party. I just think it's kind of funny. He's like, I'm sure that guy was probably relieved to leave. Because it was probably kind of, it's going to get weird now. Because Jesus is going to rebuke these guys. And so he's probably like, healed you, go ahead and go. Now i got to talk to these guys. i got something to clarify here. So we'll see here. Let's See what Jesus is going to do now. He's healed the man. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then he turned to them and said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get them out? And again, they could not answer. Now as I read that, I think that many of these leaders and these people that were present at this place, I'm assuming most of them have probably done this. They had done something on a Sunday, on a Sabbath, just like this. And he knew, Jesus already knew that. So he's calling them out on it. So basically, if they said anything, they would either incriminate themselves or speak against the law, the Jewish law, not God's law. So I'm guessing that's why none of them answered, because they were all guilty of this at some point before. So he's using this. Let's look at 7 and 9. When Jesus noticed that all had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave him this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. I have to admit, you guys know it's kind of one of my things with the chairs and the churches. And I thought of this. Having the big chairs up here, you know, you got to have the big king and queen chair and all the other chairs and all the people sitting. And I thought about this when I read this. And I've seen, literally, at bigger events, like, people playing musical chairs up on the stage. Like, one guy will come up and sit, and another guy will come up and say, oh, no, you can't sit, because this guy's coming now, and then they'll move over one, and then... Now even they'll start grabbing other chairs and putting it up there, and so the whole thing's like filled up with chairs because they don't want no one that thinks they're important to be without a chair. Um, I see this all the time here, and it just cracks me up. And this this is an example of the same thing. It's like someone walking in and saying, 
I deserve to sit in the chair up there. But then someone else comes in that he thinks more important. Oh, you got to move. move. Just move over one. And eventually they get kicked off because they run out of chairs up there. I can just imagine this. Like, it is literally like I've seen it, like musical chairs. I'll tell you, as, as I think about us and so many people, if we would have the same ambition that we have to lift ourselves up, if we would take that ambition to serve others, I think the church would be radically different. And, I, you know, I'm guilty of this at times myself, but if we would take that same ambition that we put into building ourselves up, into building others up in the church, I think the church, and I mean the church everywhere, would be radically different. If we would stop worrying about them chairs and worrying about where other people are sitting in the back and making sure they have a chair, stop worrying about um, if they have coffee and, like, if that person needs something to drink, I mean, we could just go on and on with this. And, you know, here it's an amazing, but I, I have to remind myself, you know, that's honestly even in my own heart, this is something I have to work on some days, too. You know, I walk in and I'm like, I want to feel important. Well, why don't I just go serve and have that kind of heart? You know, and there's an important lesson as we read this verse, and I think Jesus is trying to tell us this. It's pride leads to shame. So we can see those that were prideful in this story were eventually shamed. And we need to stop lifting ourselves up and let God be the only one that would lift us up. Look at verses 10 and 11. Instead, take the loneliest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in the front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This lesson is clear. If we will exalt ourselves, we will end up humbled. It's amazing how we just sing that song, I exalt thee. Uh, we, don't, we don't like. I don't pick the songs. I don't pick the message. They're, they're completely unrelated, but they're always related. It's amazing. It's God. It's Holy Spirit. But if we will humble ourselves, then it will be God who will honor us. That's easy to say, but sometimes hard to walk out. So I have to ask myself that question in so many situations. Um, who do I really want to be honored by? My fellow man or God? What does that look like to each one of us? I think it's different. I was also thinking of a story here. Think about an airplane. I think most of us are very familiar with being on planes. When you go to get on a plane, you guys you form this great big line, you know, everybody get fighting over who's going to get on the plane first. You know who gets on the plane first, though? First class. And I tell you, I don't ever fly first class, because there's no way I have the money in order to spend the money anyways. And uh, for some reason, I can never get enough points to even get upgraded for anything. But first class. And then when you board the plane, what happens? Who do you have to walk by? First class. So I, I always walk by there. As you're walking by, you're seeing them guys in great big, nice chairs. They already have like cold drinks or hot drinks. They already have food. You're walking by like looking at them, trying to fight through to get by everyone to try to find a place to put your luggage. And then... They're all just sitting there comfortable already. But you know what this would be like in this story? Because you know they've already they've already loaded all the first class passengers. What if you saw an empty seat? You'd be like, wow, that seat wasn't filled. Maybe that person missed the flight. So you're like, maybe I'll sit there. I'll just act like that's my seat. So you sit down. 
sit down in that first class seat. Now, it's not your seat, you know that. But you're like, nobody else is sitting there. Why not me sit there? So you sit there, and the, the, you know, the stewardess comes up, and she gives you your drink now, and she gives you, you know, your hot peanuts, and a, maybe a, a hot towel, and treat me really nice. And you're like, wow, this is great. This is how I should always be treated, really. This is wonderful. But you know what's going to probably happen? That guy's seat that you took in was running a little late. So he's going to come up now. He's going to look down with his stick and look at you and like, you're in my seat. Now everyone around is going to see you, that you sat in that guy's seat. And the stewardess is going to come over and they're not nice about it. She's going to tell you to move. And if, she's going to probably make a little bit of a scene. Uh, Sir, you need to move. This is not, this is first class. This is not your seat. This is his seat. Right? Then everyone's going to see that you tried to sit somewhere you weren't supposed to sit. Then you're going to have to take your stuff, you're going to have to get up, grab your stuff, you're going to have to walk all the way back through all that rest of that first class, all the way back through all them other people that saw what you tried to do. That'd be embarrassing. That's the way I see this working out. You know, and in life, sometimes this is how this kind of works out. Look again at verse 11. What do you see? It's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? See that picture there in verse 11? Just read it. I'll read it. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is the one that came and humbled himself, and he is the one that was exalted. And you look at that, there's the other side of that there too, isn't there? There's the one who wanted to exalt himself that will be humble. There's both sides of that there. Let's continue this story and see how it's going to work out here at this dinner party. This dinner party is starting to get a little strange. Let's go to verse 12 and 13. And then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Think about this dinner that Jesus was attending. Maybe some dinners that you've had yourself. What was the motivation against having this feast or this dinner? Why did he have it? Why did this religious leader invite all these people to his house? What was it? Why did he invite these certain kinds of people? Was the host using what God had blessed him with to bless others? Is that why he invited all these people and had this wonderful meal and this feast at his house? Was that his motivation? I mean, this banquet would have cost a lot of money. Is he maybe only giving to the same people that would be able to give to him in return later? I'm sure most of the people this man invited was self-motivated. He knew that if he Invite them to dinner for this nice dinner. The next week, maybe they'd invite him. It was kind of, you know, it was all selfish motivations. I think this is a lesson for us all, you know, in the things that we do. And sometimes when we go out and we, we go to bless others, what is our motivation behind that? Is it so we can be blessed by them later? We have to be so careful with that. How do we use the 
things that we are blessed with for. Why do we do it? Do we only bless those who will bless us? We need to give and bless those that can never repay us. I think it's so important. Jesus doesn't tell us here. He, he does tell us. He doesn't just tell us. But he shows us this example through and through. He, he's always blessing the poor, the hungry, and the weak. Always. If you want to see real blessings in your life, we need to follow Jesus' example. We need to start giving and returning our blessings with a humble heart to those who can't repay us. Do it with no alternative motives. Just do it to show Christ's love. I think if we will live more like this, we will, then we will receive the blessings that the Lord's speaking of here. Look at verse 14. 14, 14. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who cannot repay you. If we will live this kind of lifestyle, it will cost us. It will cost us money at times, but I think it will cost us more than that. It costs us sometimes our time. To be a friend takes work sometimes. To bless someone takes just action from our part. If we will go out and just be a friend for someone, not because not to be their friend so they can they have something we want or something we desire, but just to show them the love of Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about here. You can see this promise that Jesus gives us here. You will be paid back. You will be paid back in eternity. I'm going to turn, look at a few verses. James 4.10. James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up with honor. You will receive the reward in a way that will last forever. Not just invited to someone else's house for another dinner party. But you will receive eternal rewards. And that's the things we need to seek after in this life. Turn back to Luke. Chapter 15. Sorry. 14 verse 15. Hearing this man... Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. What's this guy also just speak up and say this? Right in the middle of this. It's interesting. I think the guy was seeing what was going on. He's like trying to change the subject. Because it was, you know, Jesus is sitting there rebuking these leaders inside this guy's house. This guy's like, um, hey, it's going to be awesome when we all attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. You know, I think this guy truly was like trying to make Jesus maybe change the subject a little. He was was kind of uncomfortable, I'm sure, to sit there and hear this rebuke from Jesus. You know, I think we do that today, though. Have you ever been invited to someone's house and maybe they're talking politics and they're talking something that you don't really want to talk about? You're like, how's the weather outside? I think that's what this guy was doing. He was just literally just changing the subject, saying... Let's talk about something else. I don't want to hear about that anymore. And so I, I found it interesting that he would uh, just do that. I know that many of you, you know, especially from different places, as you go around, 
People love to talk American politics. Always to us. I don't know why. And usually it's not on a positive thing. And I, I don't want to talk about it because they don't have no context of what's going on and it doesn't draw people to the Lord. It draws people into vision. So I'm usually like, I'll change the subject as fast as I can. And just start talking about something else. Um, I'm starting to oh, talk today. I don't know. I think this is really what this kind of is doing. It's trying to change the direction of this rebuke from Jesus. Look at verses 16 through 20. Jesus replied with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent out his servant to tell the guest, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife and I cannot come. A lot of excuses. This man earlier was trying to say, change the subject. What did Jesus do though? He got right back on track and he's actually going to share a parable to try to teach us all a lesson here in these. And I think if you look at this parable, this parable is a direct an absolute direct relation to this supper of the Lamb. You can apply this in many different principles and many different areas of our life today, but I really think this is a direct correlation to this. And as I read this, I thought about this too. In Myanmar, we get invited to a lot of dinners, you know, much more than the States. The States, you really don't get invited much uh, to dinners. It's not as common. I think it's much more common here. It's funny, is they have their different celebrations. I mean, I, I've been to so many different ones, and they come on and give me an invitation. Oh, please come to this dinner on two weeks from now. Well, I say that's wonderful. Thank you so much. The funny thing is, is then on the day of the dinner, someone will come knock on my house door and say, "It's time for you to come over. The dinner is ready." I've had this happen several times in Myanmar, and I find it interesting that I've been able to experience that here which is the same thing that's happening in Jesus' time. If you would actually send an invitation out, you would accept the invitation, then the day of the feast, someone will come knocking on your door and say, it's time. Because most of the time, you didn't have a direct time that the dinner would happen. You didn't know if it was 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock. But they would actually have a person who would come to your door and, and uh, you know, like re-invite you and remind you. I remember last time it happened, I actually forgot uh, about the dinner and so, I said, like, hey, wait, so we all got, you know, ready, and ran over there really quick, and enjoyed this dinner, and it was, uh, I don't know if it was a, I think it was a wedding anniversary dinner, and so they invite all the neighbors over for a wedding anniversary. So, in Myanmar, we eat real quick, and then you leave, which is not like American culture, because usually we would hang out and talk. Uh, Myanmar seems they want you to leave, so they can invite the next person to sit at the table and eat also. Uh, it's just much different here. But it was neat that I've been able to privilege to kind of join in on that culture here to see a little bit better to understand Jesus' time, how you would actually have a messenger go out and tell you it's time to come over and join in on the dinner. Now, you see three, we see three excuses given. Right? You see all three? First of all, these excuses aren't very good. What type of person purchases property without first inspecting it? That's kind of odd. If you purchased a property, you probably would have already inspected it. What type of person buys oxen without first trying them out? 
you say buy a car without ever trying it. Obviously, if you were to purchase it, you would have already tried it out. Then the last one, you see this man. If this man really wanted to attend, why didn't he just bring his wife? It's just kind of odd, these excuses that are given. i got a quote here. That Benjamin Franklin. The man who is good at making excuses is seldom good for anything else. That's all these people were doing is giving excuses. The truth is, they just didn't want to attend the feast. And they were looking to give some excuse why they weren't going to attend. Let's look at verses 21 through 24. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out to the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come. So the house will be full. For none of these I have first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. We saw three different excuses. Now you see three different invitations now also. You see the three different invitations? The first one the host gave was actual invitation. This invitation was given to the people that he knew, probably his friends, his family, the ones that should have recognized how amazing this feast was going to be. These probably were the affluent people of the day, I'm sure. That was the first invitation. These are the people that you would have thought they would have came. His friends and family, I'm sure. They actually received an advanced notice and knew the time was coming for this feast. Second, you see the second invitation there? You see that after the first people were unwilling to attend, he went out to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. But there's a third one. You see that? A third invitation to this feast. That for those that were on the outside. Those that his servant had to go out, his messenger had to go out and find these people that would attend this feast. So these were outside of that community, on the outskirts of it. Can you see through all these scriptures that were included into this? Can you see the invitation there? You see, what was the original invitation that was given? What's this, this a parable? What was that original? It's the Bible. It's God's word. It's a foretelling of Jesus Christ. That was the original invitation these Jewish people were given. What else do you see, though? Who, who was a messenger that went to the Jewish people, the first invitation that went out and said and invited them? Who was it? That was Jesus. But what did they do? They refused him. They refused the invitation. So what did the messenger do? He went out to the sick, to the hurting, to the lost. And then what? Who was the last people that were invited? That's you and us. That's us. He went out, outside, and invited all of us. This is an invitation. You guys see, this is an amazing, amazing scripture here. We are all invited to that wedding feast. We're all invited to join Jesus. As we close here, 
I want to look at two main points. We're going to look at some scriptures. You guys to turn, turn to Philippians 2, 3. Philippians 2, 3 through 11. This is the first point I'd like to look at, that we looked at today. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took a humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. That's how we should live our lives, with that same heart. The same humbleness that Jesus Christ shows us. And I'm sure, as I say, I should be humble. And I should go out this week and live that way. You know what? I'm going to have a lot of different opportunities to practice that, aren't I? As soon as I leave this, if I'm driving, if I'm talking, uh, going out, I'll have lots of opportunities to practice humility. So as we go out that this week, think of this. There's another point that I want to look out, which I think is the main point of this passage. We're going to look at a few different verses. Turn to Revelation 19. Nineteen six through 9. Second point. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the uproar of the mighty ocean waves, or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself, she has been given the finest of the pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words that come from God. Everyone here, this invitation has been presented to you to join. The invitation has been sent. A special messenger came. Jesus Christ. And he presented that invitation to each and every one of us. First through his word, and then through him coming himself. Now, we can learn, just like we saw in this parable, we can learn special things. God never forces anyone to accept this invitation. He didn't force these people in this story to accept this invitation. God allows us to have free will. We can reject that invitation to join him. God, I'm sure, has heard every excuse there is out there, right? Just like these people presented their excuses. But you can see through here, 
through that parable that when that invitation is rejected, it upsets God. He's upset that those would not join him at that supper. I mean, think about this supper, this wedding feast. It cost him, didn't it? I know that if I would spend two days cooking, going to the store preparing a huge feast, and I invited all of you, I gave you an invitation, and you accepted the invitation, and then it comes to the day and I called you in the morning to remind you of it, and nobody showed up, I'd be upset. I put a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of effort to bless you, and then nobody showed up. I'd be upset. But really, what did it cost me? Some work? A little bit of money? This wedding feast we're talking here cost God a lot more than it did now. What did it cost him? Let's look at John 3, 16. John 3.16 For this is how the God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See what else? Let's see a different perspective on what it costs. We'll turn to First Peter. First Peter 1.18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. You inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Uh, verse 22. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in the last days, he's been revealed for your sake. There is a great cost for this supper. This invitation is open for all. It's open for all to come join and spend an eternity in heaven. But a lot of people make excuses, right? Why they don't join and take that invitation. You know, I was thinking what excuses I had in the past for not following the Lord, for not accepting that invitation. There's no good excuse. There's none. Now I see that, I believe the main point of this is that we would join him in that marriage supper and accept your reservations in heaven. But I also see that, as you look through this, we can also see that as we're walking here today, there's also lessons that we can take with us even here in our daily lives. There's different invitations. This is the main invitation. This is to join Jesus in heaven. But sometimes Jesus also invites us to do things here. You know, I was thinking about me coming to Myanmar. I mean, it's just a... Jesus sent me that invitation. He sent it through even people sitting in this room today. But I got that invitation, and I said, oh yeah, that looks great. There's a big difference between accepting that invitation and getting on a plane. 
And I think sometimes it's, a lot of people say, yeah, Christianity looks great. That's great ideas. Yeah, Jesus, he's a great guy. There's a difference between truly surrendering and following him. And I think that's a difference on so many people. Will you, will you accept that invitation and truly surrender your life to Jesus? And accept your reservation with Jesus in heaven. I want to pray for everyone today as we look at this message. And uh, the biggest thing I just want to pray for each of you on is that we would see the different invitations that the Lord has sent out. And as Jesus was the messenger to the Jewish people and then to us and the Gentiles, that we also could be the messengers too. That we could go out and remind people of the invitation that Jesus Christ has presented to each and every person here. To remind them of how wonderful this feast will be. How amazing this time will be. And remind them the cost that was paid to allow us to be part of that wedding feast. If the worship team could please come up. And someone can hit the button on there so all the instruments work. I always forget. There it is. There it was. I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you today for a chance just to get into your word. Lord, I thank you for the people that are here. Lord, if there's anyone here that has received that invitation, Lord, that has chosen maybe just to put it on the shelf or put it in a different place where they have not, they've received the word they haven't truly accepted that invitation. They haven't made that reservation with you, Lord. They haven't come to you and called on you and said, Lord, I accept this, Lord. I want to be with you in heaven, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you would just send them a special message again, Lord. If it's through one of us or through your word or through some other divine intervention, Lord, I just pray, Lord, you would speak to them, Lord. And you would call upon them just like you called upon your people, Lord. They would go out into the streets, Lord, and you would call them to you they would join with you one day. So Lord, I just pray and I thank you. I thank you for this opportunity today. I thank you for the children here, Lord. I just thank you for the worship today, Lord. Please, Lord, just let us be messengers for you, Lord. The messengers of that great invitation that you give. We praise your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.